Hey everybody, I uh, hope you can hear me. Um, this is just a real quick test. We, uh, we had a lot of uh, work to do to get the live stream set up for you. Um, and uh, here we are in my dining room. And uh, there's the hurricane behind me, but it's not a hurricane. So uh, I'm glad everybody's safe. I don't think this is going to be a, a happy outcome hurricane because I don't think we're going to get uh, any more much more uh, devastating than it has been. Now, I say that and the power is about to go off probably, but anyway, um, I'm going to kick this off in about four minutes at 11.30. We sent out a text to everybody uh, saying 4.30 or 11.30, so um, we'll be back in uh, Titus and we'll do some spiritual life of Titus and, uh, and close down on uh, correcting those who contradict. All right, see you in a second.
All right, we're going to go live now. Thank you to Samuel Roseland for some Canon and D. Thank you also to Paco Bell. It's uh, time to stop the music now. We're live. <laughs> so again, thank you, Samuel, for uh, for Paco Bell's Canon and D. He's been working on that for a while. And also to all those that have worked on him uh, in his piano development, most recently our beloved Claire Elston. Nice work, son. We are in the book of Titus. We closed out. We read every verse. And uh, I'm going to do a little bit of a reflection today on what the scriptures teach um, about the spiritual life just by virtue of what the book of Titus is. A little bit of a look at that. And we'll also today, uh, for this second hour of uh, church, our Bible time, um, uh, live streaming from my home and my dining table, we'll talk about um, uh, Paul's admonitions to avoid uh, a certain type of teaching and the teachers. It's a pretty common thread in Paul, and um, uh, I don't think the language could be much clearer, uh, and uh, the scriptures are certainly perspicuous to us. Well, let's take a moment for silent prayer and make sure we're in fellowship with God. We're asking God to clean us up when we confess our sins. We're simply naming our sins to God, and He always promises that every time we do, based on His character, that He'll clean us up. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the eternal life. That's our birthright. We have it now. Jesus said he came to give us life and that abundantly. And we walk in the light as you're in the light when we walk in fellowship with you and according to your character, your righteousness, your wisdom. And uh, have, have your things in common with you, Father. You've opened up this, this uh, fellowship that has always existed between you and your spirit and your son. You've opened that up to us and given us this marvelous access. Jesus has given us uh, access right now into your throne room of grace on his on his coattails in his name we come to you asking for insight god give us insight into who you are and what you want from us help us answer the great three questions of who are you and who are we therefore and what would you have from us what do you want for us what are you going to do with us father we want to be pleasing to you in this time and we know that if we'll align ourselves with what you've said we'll align ourselves with what you want and not just in a passing way right now, just for Sunday, but if we'll uh, set our heart to constantly keep seeking the things above where Christ is, that you will be glorified and honored, and we'll be blessed, and we'll rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in Titus. Well, <laughs> oops. There we go. Uh, my controls are a little bit rusty. I'm rusty. I'm rusty on the controls here. Um, in uh, in Titus chapter one, we hear a couple things about him. We've talked about this before, but just to just to review you.
you disciples, in Matthew 28, 19, 20, you go make disciples. You go replicate yourself. Paul has done this, and it's kind of like from beginning to end in the way. This, this letter informs every pastor, every under-shepherd, every sheepdog working under the Lord Jesus Christ to tend his flock in Acts 20 style, like Paul talking to the Ephesian elders. Everyone that comes after these men is informed, edified, and strengthened by a reflection on what Paul says to Titus, what Paul says to Timothy in First and Second Timothy. We're edified by every word of Scripture, but notice that the occasion for this writing is to stabilize and strengthen Titus for the work that he's got to do in the difficult ministry in Crete. And so the first thing I want to point out about Titus is that he's a replicant. He is a, he's not a clone, we shouldn't call him a clone, but he's, he's an offspring. Paul preached the gospel and Titus is hearing at some point and became a believer in Jesus Christ. And then Paul continued to teach and he, he sent others to teach and Titus grew in the word because that's the way it works. The Holy Spirit came to abide in Titus when he first believed in Christ. Um, and in that sense, Paul is can say he's my true child or he's the spiritual father. He's the one that, um, that preached the gospel and Titus believed. What an honor it is to have that privilege. I was just at camp in Maine and um, there were several children there that were in churches and Christian households and hadn't thought through the gospel and, and child evangelism fellowship is all about getting kids to think through the gospel offer of salvation through Jesus Christ and um, more than three or four kids that I spoke to on the last day of camp really couldn't tell me exactly what we'd been saying all week and when I broke it down and kind of made it interpersonal there was I think in maybe one or two cases there was an actual like the light kind of came on okay so I'm saved by believing in Jesus as my Savior he died for my sins and rose from the dead and when I trust in him for my salvation that's the moment of receiving eternal life and the Holy Spirit and and so um, when you save, when you evangelize someone, you can say there's a there's a kind of a beginning, but it's it's more than just the evangelism process. There's also the rearing, you know, uh, the the privilege of sharing Christ with someone as they grow to understand more and more. There's so great salvation. It's it's such a privilege to do this, and and we really don't care who shares the gospel, right? We don't care who does the baptizing. We just want people to come to Christ. We just want people to have eternal life. We just want them to have the life because of the love of God in us and his compassion toward them that's, that's shed abroad in our hearts. So Paul calls Titus his... Um, letter in terms of looking at Titus and his spiritual life is that he at some point trusted in Christ as his savior and then he had the life because if you have Christ you have the life in John 3:36 we read that he who believes in the son has everlasting or eternal life and he who does not believe the son shall not see life and, um, and that's a con common refrain throughout John chapter 3. If you have the Son, you have the life. And the Apostle John says it in 1 John 5 as well. If you have the Son, you have the life. There's a point at which Titus received eternal life, the moment that he first trusted in Christ and could in that sense say he had the Son. And we know that more importantly, the Son has us, and nothing will take us out of his hand, according to Romans 8 and John 10 and other places. So what I'm saying is, 
you and I have a lot in common with Titus. At one point, we were not believers, and then we trusted in Christ, and now we are believers. Now we have the life. And you're uh, very off, very rarely are we called, we use that word believer. We also use the word saved. Uh, a lot of times in a, in a technical way that the Bible doesn't always just always constantly identify Christians as believers. But we are saints. That's kind of the Paul's technical term. He also says you're in Christ. And these are references to sanctification, the, identif the, the setting apart to God of the believer, and, um, and identification, baptism into, this, into uh, Christ by means of the Holy Spirit is the way we are in Christ, unified with Jesus Christ. And so we're the saints who are in Christ is more often how the Bible describes those who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. So why am I saying you need to look at the last talk I want to do on Titus for the survey of Paul's letters? Why do I want to make the issue? Okay, one second, please. <laughs> the uh, the thing we have in common with Titus is that we're believers and we've been saved for a purpose and we looked at that purpose at the conclusion of chapter 3 and the, the doctrinal section in verses 4 through 7. I'll bring that up real quick. So this, this is your presentation of salvation, which we have in Christ. And I'm just, I'm sorry we're having so much technical. So in the small confines of our house, it is very challenging when some are in the Word and some are not, right? So we're back to the Word. In Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, when the kindness and the love for mankind appeared, which belonged to God our Savior, not from works of righteousness, which we did, but according to His mercy, God saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, and who poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, having been justified by that one's grace. 
we would become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There we go. So the idea, obviously, in this little section is that God saved us so that we would be his heirs. He saved us for a, a purpose. And that's the, the thing I'm talking about with, with the discussion on Titus. You have a purpose that God saved you for, and it is not just to go to heaven. You have a spiritual life. You have a mission. You have a calling on your life. And Titus and Timothy are good examples for us of what that looks like. Now, what would it take? I want to ask you a theological question, a little, little thought experiment question. What would it take for you to be ready, like Timothy or Titus, to go take on something like the kind of ministry they're called to? I know that the vast majority of Christians are not going to take on a local church to pastor it. I know this, uh, especially in one in trouble. Uh, where nobody's going to take on a church that the Apostle Paul founded personally and established in his personal ministry. These, with all due respect to those that say that they still exist, know that these organizations, these Episcopal churches, do not uh, have that kind of genealogical tie back to the Apostle Paul or the Apostle Peter. Um, that's, another, that's for another day. But my point is, um, there are differences that you're going to have with Titus and Timothy. But I want to talk about the things that you and I have in common. What do we have in common with Titus, with Timothy, regarding our uh, spiritual lives? And obviously the answer is that we are believers in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who has come to take up residence. What should I do? What would I have to do? How would I have to change? Or what would God have to change in me to be able to go and do the kind of vocational work that Timothy and Titus are doing, I want you to flip that a little bit and say, maybe I'm not going to do the vocational work, maybe I'm not going to be the pastor, or even go and, uh, and be a full-time, you know, supported missionary um, in the sense that people do that for their work, for their living. Maybe that's not going to be, most Christians aren't. Um, in fact, if, if, if it wasn't that way, the, those who are, like me, couldn't do it because of the need for support. So my, my point is that you're in the same spiritual life and with the same Holy Spirit, with the same Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, with the same apostolic truth of the Old Testament of the prophets and the New Testament growing out of it with the apostles and prophets of the New Testament. You're in the same exact boat as Titus and Timothy, in the sense that God has something that he wants you to do as a focus in your life relative to his mission of making disciples. And what needs to happen in us, like with young Timothy and probably young man Titus, based on chapter 2, you go encourage the young men, you're one of them. You and I need to grow up. We need a certain level of spiritual maturity, a certain, which means, which means a certain amount of time invested in our lives in the intake and application of God's word a certain amount of uh, like a, uh, at some point it needs to occur to you that your life is not your own that you've bought with a price and that you belong to someone who bought you for a purpose it needs to dawn on us that God's way in my life is the very best thing and as Jesus taught us to pray uh, your will be done that we want God to have his way we need to have these ideas of the scriptures dominate 
our inner person because as we do as we say yes God you have your way I won't choose my way as you more and more say God I want to be about what you want you will find yourself in the center of the joy that God wants you to have I was some of you might have thought I was gonna say the center of God's will but it's the joy of your salvation it's the peace that surpasses all comprehension it is, it is the fruit of the Spirit in your heart, which is all a product of the love of God. This is what you want, but you're not going to find it until a couple of things happen. As with Timothy and with Titus, you've got to be born again. You have to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But that's not the end, that's the beginning. Then you have to grow up enough to know the Word to be able to handle it. I teach the Bible constantly, and I don't use a lot of specialized you know, personalized jargon or technical language about the Bible. I just speak English. Now, sometimes it gets technical, but it's common parlance English. And I do that because I'm trying to equip you to be able to handle the word of truth, to be able to understand it and think it through. And, um, and you're all in a different, everybody's in a different place learning to do that. And I'm not saying, again, you're not probably going to go pastor a church, but some of you will, but probably most of you won't. But you will be used by God in the giftedness He's given you and the capacity He has for you to go and represent Him, to go make disciples of the nations. Um, and it's an amazing opportunity. It's an awesome calling. And it is the good works that are the summary that Titus is told again and again to encourage his people to do. This is the consequence of studying Paul the way we have synthetically, looking at him chronologically through his life, Acts to the Epistles, to the Acts to the Epistles, and then we're, in the, we're past the book of Acts and the end of Paul's life here in the pastorals. <clears throat> the consequence of doing this is you get this overarching perspective that... Um, that these apostles of Jesus are just carrying out the Great Commission. They're just doing what he called them to do and therefore establishing a, um, a replicant ministry that continues today, 2,000 years later. I am a believer in Jesus Christ because someone told the person that told me. And, uh, and the person that told me was my mother. And later my dad was, he was involved, but my mother primarily evangelized me because he was with me when I was a little kid while my dad was at work. And um, that's how it often works with Christian moms and dads. The mom will tell the kids and, and they'll come to Christ. Or, or I heard a little girl uh, at camp give her testimony. She said, I was sitting on the tractor while daddy was cutting the hay or whatever on the farm. And, um, and uh, I always like to ride on the tractor with daddy. And that's, I remember believing in Jesus as my savior while on the tractor. But the point is that um, we need to come, you have to come to Christ. You have to trust in Christ to have the life. But then as a believer, you have to live it. And that's, that's true in Titus's life and in Timothy's life. And we know that because the Apostle Paul is, is saying that they're his fellow workmen. He's saying that these men are ready to go do this work, and so he's further equipping them. And by virtue of the, the, the transmission and preservation of the text of Scripture, he's equipping us as well. So I want you to see, though, that the spiritual life doesn't just take us to spiritual maturity and then um, uh, rewards. The spiritual life requires and, and, and will bring you to spiritual maturity. And, uh, and if you ever get a glimpse of spiritual maturity, you'll never claim it. You'll never say, I'm there. Um, but but you'll, it, spiritual maturity is a, is a status in which there's been enough time invested in the Word and in living it out where you have a sense of your own identity. You know that you're not nothing. You're made in God's image. But you're not all that because of 
who you are. You're in Christ, and it's only what God has done that gives you your eternal significance. That's a fact. That's a function of maturity. You're going to grow in your capacity to love. In First Thessalonians three, you're going to love more and more as God grows His character quality of love in you and as we read in Romans the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts the fruit of the spirit is love a new commandment I give you that you love one another on the one hand the Holy Spirit grows this in us on another side Jesus says do this and it's both you have a responsibility volitionally and then the spirit gives you capacity and increases this and the word of God will do that and the more you and I come face to face with the word and we're honest with ourselves and we're saying God show me who you are and don't let me miss what you want me to know about me the more you open yourself to the word and the more it transforms you the more you'll be on the track that Paul was was used of God to bring Titus and Timothy along your spiritual life will increase will grow your abilities will grow your capacity to love will grow and your sense of duty your sense of responsibility to be about your father's business just like your Savior will grow you will be more and more like your Savior and find yourself more and more on mission now, how, pastor, can I be like this? How can I be this kind of person? Most Christians, listen, most Christians aren't. I know there are preachers that will say, well, they're not really Christians. We're getting spurious conversions because we're preaching faith alone. That is, that, that, what all that is, it's either just human theology and reasoning, or it is, which is evil, or it is um, uh, looking at the effects from what we can tell with our limited ability to perceive people's growth and development and then saying well what did we do wrong we didn't get the effect we wanted so we went and redefined faith and both of those are, are, are awful and heinous things to do faith is believing trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior from sin trusting in your savior and the repentance of faith is that you're not trusting in yourself you're not bringing works to the gospel you're bringing need you're bringing your sin and Jesus cleans you up you're trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior that is a moment of a change of mind that is repentance absolutely and so repentance toward God in 1st Thessalonians 1 and faith in Christ my point is that as you grow spiritually you're going to more and more put on the character of Jesus Christ and you're going to more and more be desiring him desiring the things of him desiring to know him you're going to keep thinking on the things above in Colossians 3 1 and 2 the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father which takes us into the book of Hebrews and you're going to constantly be thinking in terms of prayer to God because you come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ which isn't just a verbal formula that we say I always do in Jesus name I pray that's a good reminder but it's not just this verbal formula some will say they, they don't pray in Jesus in the name of Jesus they won't say it because that's not what that means but they also say they don't bless the food, which is very explicitly stated that we should pray at Thanksgiving for the food because it's set apart to God by, by Thanksgiving. What I'm saying is that you're going to God the Father in His throne room in heaven in prayer in the name of Jesus. You don't have a right to that except that you have Christ, and He gives you the access, and that's a lot of the argument of the book of Hebrews. So what I'm, what I'm saying is you... You and I need to identify ourselves with Timothy and Titus. We are sitting at the feet of Paul listening to this letter just like Titus read it, just like Timothy read his. We're looking for God to change us by reading this thing. And we're looking for, as we trust in God and we believe that this is his word for us, we're looking to, by faith, in the grace of God, do what he says. 
by faith, trusting in God and in His Word and in His Spirit's ability and all the, the promises God has given us, by faith, according to the grace of God which works in us, we're looking to do what He said. So think, imagine, imagine the Christian. Imagine t Titus. See the, the, why this, the spiritual life, Titus' spiritual life. Imagine, sorry about the, the, the hiccup on audio there. Imagine that, that you're Titus and you have this command. The younger man in the same way encouraged to be of sound mind. He commands it. What if Titus doesn't do this? What if Titus, having a legitimate authority in the Apostle Paul over him, issuing this command, and hey, are you under the Apostles? Are you a believer in Jesus? Are you under the Lord Jesus Christ, first of all? And then are you under the delegate, delegated authorities that he's given you? See, a lot of us have problem with authority. We don't. I don't want to be called a sheep. I had someone tell me early on in this ministry here. Um, I really resent when people call us sheep. I have a pastor friend that preceded me in this pulpit who likes to say the Bible calls us sheep, and it's not a compliment, right? It's just our arrogance. We don't want to be told that we we're we're lost and hopeless and need. Um, direction, but notice the command. I'm just trying to show you one command: encourage the men to be a sound mind. If if Titus reads that, if he thoroughly processes it, if he if he gets the Greek, uh, you know, lexicon out, what is that word parakaleo to encourage or to come alongside or to exhort? What does that mean? And and really study it out. And um, hey, that looks like a present imperative. Um, what's the nuance of the present tense with the imperative as opposed to the aorist tense with the imperative? How does that work? And and uh, what should that be like? And what what does this require? And he studies it out completely, and then he closes his book. You know, hits um, hits Windows L to lock the screen on his laptop, and then he turns off the power, and he's done. And he doesn't go encourage the young men. What what's what's the point? And this is the problem I've got with um, with theologians, who will say that the Christian life is not by obedience. I, I don't understand that kind of reasoning, except that it's I, I know what where it's coming from. It's not an exegetical statement or what is the Bible saying. It's a, we have had a lot of legalism in Christian uh, circles in, of, of late and people that are, 
Bible-believing, you know, Sunday church people will very often just preach works, 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 and it ends up being very legalistic. So because we've had that cultural problem in our history, we've had that experience, again, we don't like the outcome of a legalistic church where the pastor's wife is measuring little girl's skirts in front of other people to see if they're, you know, sufficient to the church guidelines or something, which I've heard of insanely. I've heard of church, fundamentalist churches doing this. And so, since we had that bad bad thing happen, we have to go back and say, well, this is bad theology. But the truth is that the Holy Spirit came in your heart to abide, to empower you to do all that God wants. So it's, it's, it's quite, quite absurd to say that Paul would tell Timothy, or sorry, Titus to go and exhort the young men, and then Titus would forget what Paul had said and basically disregard it. It's insane. But we live in an insane world. He says in Titus 2.7, show yourself. The way you're going to encourage is by showing yourself. What do you have over there? Very good. Encourage by showing yourself. What else? What's another command we have from Paul? In Titus 3, we saw to, uh, today and, and last time, two Sundays ago, I want you to insist. What Paul wants is for Titus to insist on the teaching of verses 4 through 7, the grace of God and salvation. What if, what if Titus doesn't do that? Well, this is there's no point to the letter. Paul wrote it and he sent it and all the effort that went into sending a messenger and then, then the reply, it's a waste. It's a wasted effort. And what if you and I don't take on the mantle of the disciple of Jesus Christ under the apostles, learning from them according to the word of God, quickened in our hearts more and more by the teaching of God's word, by the meanings of God's word, by assenting and affirming and believing what God has said and then applying it to ourselves, not to our neighbor, not to our husband or wife, but applying it to ourselves so that we do what God's word said. What about, what about the people that won't, that, that won't do that? Well, the Bible is irrelevant to them. It's just words on a page. And there's a whole lot of ways people have, through church history, come up with avoiding the plain requirements that God's Word has for believers. I'd like to quote G.K. Chesterton, perhaps my favorite Roman Catholic, who in his wit and his writing is a precursor to C.S. Lewis, an Anglican. G.K. Chesterton wrote the, um, um, a bunch of mystery stories with Father So-and-So, Father Brown Mysteries, and um, but he wrote a really good couple of books called um, Orthodoxy and Heretics, two books, Orthodoxy and, and Heretics, and um, I forget if it was in Orthodoxy, I think it was, where he said something like, I'm paraphrase, he said, Christianity hasn't been f tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and therefore not tried. See, to love one another as Christ has loved you, you have to disregard you. You have to say, it's not about me. It's about God. And did we lose audio again? I'm getting, getting notices. This is a frustrating... Um, we lose audio when you show Logos. Loring's out of power. This is a frustrating day, isn't it? It's a frustrating day of ministry, but hey, we're still, we're still live. I'm showing audio on my end. And I'm not getting any feedback that otherwise. Luckily, well, I don't believe in luck. Fortunately, we're not recording this because I forgot to. 
What a mess. <clears throat> um, Joyce, can you hear me now? I'm getting all kinds of great help. Keep working fine now. Okay, thank you, Alan. Alan Snow, um, I don't know if you're if you got any cookies nearby, but you get an extra one. So you get a cookie and a cookie store. That's right. So um, so here's. I hope you're able to track with this, and I know if, if it's been too difficult, I, I get it. Um, but if you're still with me, um, what I'm trying to communicate uh, very haphazardly is that living out the Christian life is part of why, for you and me, is part of why we have the pastoral letters. It's for us to see that just like us today, with all our internet and all the distractions and all the, you know, being able to get up and go in the car and, and just the amazing freedom and mobility and all that we have, the poorest among us are more wealthy than the kings of antiquity. We are just like Timothy and Titus. We're born again by grace through faith when we first trusted in Christ as our Savior because someone who is in the chain from the apostles has told us about Jesus. And then we're able by the work of the Holy Spirit who comes to abide in our hearts forever the moment we trust in Christ we're able to grow with respect to that salvation we grow to understand it we grow to out to live it out we grow to fulfill that for which God called us and that is your spiritual life and it but but I want you to see where it goes we don't have the letter of Paul we, while we do have Paul writing to uh, Philemon about the slave Onesimus that's a personal letter Paul's writing to an individual. Philemon is not going to be a pastor. He's not going to take a church. But I want you to notice what the letter to Philemon is. It's an appeal for the runaway slave Onesimus, who later has become a Christian under the Apostle Paul, for, for Philemon to treat him as a brother in Christ and to let Onesimus service as the slave, as the, as the bondservant to Philemon, to let it be for Paul. Let him minister to Paul on Philemon's account. That is, Philemon, you are born again by grace through faith. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the spiritual life. And therefore, there is a mission work that I want you to do. That's what Philemon is. Timothy, you're going to go to Ephesus in First and Second Timothy. Um, you're going to go to Crete, Titus. The, the letters that we have of Paul to persons that he has evangelized that are of a personal appeal are letters about Christian works in the mission. It's on mission. It's in the work. Again, you won't necessarily be a pastor, but you will have a role in the making of disciples through two steps. One step is a first one-time only event, the evangelism of those that don't know Christ. How will they believe if they don't have a preacher? The second piece is the forever, every day, all the rest of your life, the discipling by teaching all that Jesus has commanded. And the reason we listen to the New Testament epistles and Gospels and, and the book of Revelation is because the Lord Jesus has commissioned these writings inspired by God the Holy Spirit so that we'll know what that teaching is. Jesus never wrote anything that we have. The one time we know of Jesus' writing that it's stated that he wrote something, it's writing in the dirt, and we don't even know what he wrote. If think about the Gospels. See, Jesus wrote to us through the apostles, even when he sends letters to the seven churches, the red letters in, in Revelation 2 and 3, it's through the apostle John. So all we know of Christ, we got from his apostles. So back up, what I'm saying is, you are Timothy and Titus in a sense, 
that God has saved you. He's put His Spirit in you. He's given you His Word. And as you grow in that Word and the effect of that Word of the Holy Spirit through you, putting on Christ, there is work for you and me to do, just like with Titus and Timothy. And the final thing that I want to say about the spiritual life of Titus and that spiritual growth unto the work and eventually the, the award ceremony, the judgment seat of Christ. The final thing I want to say to you about this is um, when we talk about the work that God has for us, we really need to hear God's love for us, God's desire for us to succeed, God's desire for us to have greater and higher and better than we could ever ask or think for ourselves. When I say that the culmination or the, the, the point of the spiritual growth and the spiritual life is the production, is the works that he has for you to do, which will be under the evaluation of the judgment seat of Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 9 and 10. When I say that, I'm saying not that there's drudgery, oh, I have to go work for Jesus. Yeah, it does require you to turn off the TV. I mean, it does require you to long for the pure milk of the word like a newborn baby after mom's milk. It does require you to say there's nothing higher or greater in life for me than to know God through his word. It does make you radical about the word of God and your, your walk with God in, in prayer. But it isn't misery. It isn't torture. It isn't, you know, uh, uh, suffering. There will be suffering alongside it, but the, the walk itself isn't suffering. It's joy. It's bliss. It's joy inexpressible and full of glory. And I just want to challenge you to think of the spiritual life and the work that God has for you that way. And those of you who know, those of you who know the experience, just maybe just a taste of it at VBS, working with the kids, or maybe if you visited a good news club and you saw the work, or if you really got into the work and you've seen it and you know it's been a while, if you've ever experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about, that it's not drudgery. Now, Christian workers will often have a similar testimony. Guys that get together, ladies that, that do the work, that are in there looking for ways to share Christ or to encourage believers in Christ to grow in His Word, will often have the same experience. And it has to do with our body and the interface of our sin nature and our feelings and all this. We will be busy doing something and know that there's an appointment for I got a three o'clock good news club right about one o'clock for a lot of times a lot of people we get this feeling that kicks in that I don't really want to do that I don't want to go do good news club for whatever reason this other things going on I'm busy I'm tired um, I'm being successful in this I'm trying to write this chapter or whatever and I, I'm busy and I, I just don't want to do it I just don't feel like it and it you, you, you look at the idea of going to do this ministry Beachwood go to Preach, you know, preach and sing with the elderly people locked away in the in the nursing home. Um, whatever the ministry is, you, you look at that and you and you, it, it, it's like there's a shadow over it. Oh, I don't want to do that. You just don't feel like it. Oh, not not today. Maybe I I know that that takes energy. I just don't have any energy for that. It's a very common experience. And and here is the the other side of it. When you say I made the commitment, Lord help me. You you say a little prayer and you ask God. Just like in Hebrews, that which you want me to do, give me the strength and the power to do it. Work it in me, Father, because I don't have it in myself. A great prayer anytime you're about to conduct any Christian ministry. When you go forth and do it anyway, in the power of God, relying on Him, trusting Him, very often, especially on those days where you didn't feel like it and there was a shadow in your heart overdue, I just don't want to do it. Very often you have the best the best harvest that day, the best effect, the, the most enjoyable experience, the, 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 the shock and the thrill. 
And then when you come back and you reflect on this, you report, tell your friends, your beloved, your brothers and sisters in Christ what it was, very often you, you get a lump in your throat because I didn't want to do it and, and God blessed it more than I could have ever imagined in this instance. And I'm just telling you from personal experience or from observation of others on the, in this one, but, this is, but the reason I'm doing that is because I just want, it's an application. I just want you to understand, if Titus doesn't do what he's written by Paul to do, then there's no effectiveness on Crete. But if he does do it and God empowers him and blesses him with success, then he is, he is on cloud nine. He is really having the best possible experience that human beings can have in this frame of life. This is a life filled with suffering and pain and illness and, and locked up quads trying to chase down 18 year olds at camp. It's got all kinds of troubles and hardships and heartaches, okay? But it also has joy that you may never have had if you've never gotten involved in the work of the mission, of the actual work. Now finally, 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 you don't have to be the preacher. You don't have to be the Good News Club leader. You don't have to, you, you could drive the car that picks the kids up to get them to the Good News Club. You could maintain the vehicle that's going to be used to drive the children to the Good News Club. You could be just one of the people guarding the exit at the elementary school because you got one kid, there's always one kid that's a runner. And we have to keep the exits all covered because when we assume the responsibility for their safety, we really have to be careful with that. You don't have to preach to equip people to teach them all that Jesus commanded. You don't have to be the one generating the content, but I would challenge you that whether you're going to write a sermon or, or as, as Matt Gothier does with a magic show to get the kids' attention and then tell them about Jesus, whether you're going to do that or you're just going to be there ready to help, you need to be ready with the words of life, with a testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Um, I was going to harangue you with the challenges of the Apostle Paul um, concerning uh, those who contradict the, the, um, the instructions that Paul gave Timothy. And I want to cover that just briefly. There are several places in Timothy, First and Second Timothy, where Paul will address this same topic. And I'm calling it Paul on Managing Conflict in the Pastoral Epistles. And I'll pull up the slide.
it lost audio again. I don't know why it does that. I apologize for the audio um, break. Um, in 1 Timothy 1.3, Paul says, I urge you to instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. That's why he has to go to this mission. Nor to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. Chapter 3 of Titus. Pay attention to endless genealogies. It's the same problem of grabbing something obscure in the text that doesn't... That, that It's a lot of text that discusses where people are from. But the job is not to go speculate about that and get, get all this pro prophetic material that isn't there. It's Bible code. It's Bible code games. It's, it, that's the problem. And it's a problem in our, in our day, here today too. But I urge you not to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies which gives, give rise to mere speculation. Let's see here. which gives rise to mere speculation rather than the furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. So the point is that you don't get the word of God, you don't get the effect of God, you don't get the, the mission God has for us through speculation, through um, focusing on weird, obscure doctrines and, and uh, this occurred to me and this must be why all the genealogies in Genesis 5 and Genesis 10, um, the, that's not edifying. It's not the mission. It's not the function of the language in the text. And Bible code is a big problem in our day. It's, it's around. And it's, a lot of it's Old Testament. A lot of it's speculation based on, as, as John's been teaching, the Jewish calendar, the, um, the feasts of Israel, and how those related to a, a Christology, a typological Christology, or showing Jesus before he came. Um, there's a lot of misuse of language trying to see behind the text and dig out something that is the secret knowledge and it's Bible code. We don't do Bible code. The code of communication, method of communication by God's divine design is the function of human language. Language. We have a philosophy of language in the Bible. When God speaks it is effective. It does things. It's effective. And so we really need to embrace the function of language the way God designed it. And what I mean is that subjects do the actions of verbs unless it's a passive verb and, and grammar. The function of language and grammar. So one Bible code uh, insanity that I've seen is trying to get the letters of the Hebrew Bible and find that you know the, the theory is that they were pictures before they were letters. So the pictures have the real meanings of the words, of the letters. So when you string the letters together in words, you have this undercurrent meaning of what the word means instead of just that what, what the word is. Aleph is not just an ox. It's, it's, it's all the things that Aleph, Lamed, um, Mem, and, uh, and Pei are. It's putting, and, and it's, there are guys that have spent years, decades, trying to dig out this Bible code, and and uh, they're getting a hearing. It's all over YouTube. And it's just speculation. It's a misunderstanding of the function of language, and it and you can hear Antichrist when it speaks. It, 
they denied the creation in Genesis 1. Oh, we misunderstood that because we're, so, we're all rubes reading language in its original function. And um, it's just a denial of the scriptures. But on the other hand, a lot of things in the Bible are challenging to us. They're hard for us to understand, and I could see why people grasp for uh, some, you know, some extra biblical revelation, some mystical way to interpret the text. And we've been fighting this in church history for 2,000 years. And you had basically among the believing of the Bible of the church, you had two schools of thought. You had the Alexandrian school in Egypt, which is headed or most especially brought to bear by Origen, the the. The, uh, the teacher named Origen, and then you had the Antioch school, Antioch in Syria, the Antiochene school, and uh, this was um, most especially evident through the teaching of Theodore of Mopsuestia. And the two ways of doing the text, one is to find meanings the text doesn't say by analogy or allegory, and the other way is to say no, language functions, and you get the meaning from the text from what the author says. And you can obviously understand I'm of the Theodore um, Antiochene school of how to interpret the Bible. And um, this new Bible code stuff isn't, um, it isn't uh, really origin or Theodore, it's a new weirdo thing. And, um, and I, I mean that with all, uh, all due respect which isn't much uh, to Bible code stuff. So um, the word that, I, that, I, that grabs me when I read this, in my experience, is this word mere speculation. Mere speculation rather than furthering the administration of God, which is by faith. In 1 Timothy 1, 6 and 7, we skip verse 5. For some men straying from these things of the truth, of faith and the truth, they have turned aside to fruitless discussion because they want to be teachers of the law even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. Maybe Jesus plus circumcision in Paul's day, the Judaizers that, that he struggled with. There's always this abuse of the Mosaic law and this misunderstanding of how we in this church age relate to it. 1 Timothy 4.7, skipping most of 1 Timothy, have nothing to do, he says, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. That's old wives' tales is what that means. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Don't indulge in the Bible code stuff and the, the, the ancient aliens uh, as the explanation for the Nephilim uh, you know, in Genesis 6. Hey, that stuff is in the text that, it, that there are these Nephilim. But there's nothing about aliens. There are, there are other extraterrestrials other than earth beings we know in the heavens and they're summarized under the heading messengers or angels they exist they're personal beings they're creatures of light and they manifest themselves as humans at times throughout the scriptures if you see something that doesn't fit the human capability you're probably I would dogmatically say looking at angels and a third of them are fallen angels and they're seeking to, dis to distract the humans to deceive them according to the directives of their father, the devil. So um, we don't need to play this game. Get your, your finger back in the Bible. When you find extra biblical, there are lots of ways people get taken off the bead. What about philosophy? Oh, the, you know, smart guy said this, Kant said this, or Descartes said that, or, or the epistemologists. And, um, and Hume really tells us we can't really know anything. Well, that's all very interesting, but if you're a Bible-believing Christian, Let's go back to what God said. 
I believe he said it. Let's trust him. Let's see what he says and see if we can understand it and open our hearts to what he said. First Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, guard what's been entrusted to you. What's been entrusted to him? The deposit of the faith, the doctrine that Paul has taught him. Avoiding worldly and empty chatter and opposing arguments of what's falsely called knowledge. The fad of knowledge that grows into the Gnosticism of the second century. That's what Paul's talking about. And it starts with arrogance. It is humans saying, I know better. It's the arrogance of what's the true religion and then saying that an angel tells me what the true religion is. You could let the messengers of God that the apostles are, the, those that the Lord sent to tell the word of God in the New Testament, you can trust them on what is the true walk or the true nature of worship of God in this time. It's the worship of God through the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, empowered by God the Holy Spirit through the word of 66 books God's given us of the Old and New Testaments. That's the true faith. And it always has been, and any deviation from it is a waste of time. So that's that's what, what Paul is saying when he keeps telling Timothy to avoid these things. Second Timothy, the last letter Paul wrote in 2.23, Refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they pr produce quarrels. Refuse. It's a rejection. Don't indulge in. And uh, see, this, is, this gets somebody like me. I talked to you last hour about like, not liking to say no. Another thing you need to know about me is I'm always trying to prove my point. And part of what I'm trying to do is prove it to myself. I am an inductive thinker because I've become a Bible reader, which means that I'm not starting with a principle and then seeking to prove it. I'm starting with the text and looking at all the details and then seeing what the principle is that derives out of it. That's an inductive process. Well, when someone comes along with a bunch of principles, a bunch of marvels of poison principles, and they throw them out there and say, hey, assimilate that, an inductive thinker like me wants to fully assimilate it and put it together so I can see what the principle is and then tear it down or, or address, you know, address it. Well, the problem with that is that Satan's smarter than I am, and he's got a million bags of marbles, of poison marbles to throw at me to try to assimilate. And I'll work my fingers to the bone trying to figure out what's wrong with this weird, you know, Bible code thing or that weird Bible code thing. And what I need to do is avoid foolish and ignorant speculations because they just produce quarrels. Well, um, two things have happened today. I'm about to lose my stream. And... Uh, we're just starting to get some real storm effects. Or no, that we just had a band. We just had a band go through of pretty good weather. Um, praise the Lord that the power's still on, and I think uh, the radar map shows that um, we're headed towards. Looks like we're kind of headed towards being done with this thing. Um, what we've done today is we talked about how you and Titus have a lot in common, and how you can use what the the, the pastoral epistles are, Titus and Timothy. You can use these to think about how God would use you in his work. Once you have the new birth and you have the work of the Spirit in you, you have the Word, you're growing in the Word, eventually there's going to have to be that moment where you say, God is, is in charge and I'm not, and I just want to serve him. I should do what, he, what I want to be about, what he wants me to be about. And, um, and, you, and you jump into his work. It's the greatest privilege of life. And the great distraction from that is false teaching contrary to the apostles and prophets. So we keep our finger in the Bible, we keep our hearts attentive to the things above where Christ is, and we're looking for God to have his way in our works. Well, it's been an adventure today, and uh, thanks for joining me. Um, look forward to seeing you all Wednesday. We'll, if the Lord uh, provides power, we'll do it uh, live stream. If there is no power, uh, because this thing rains out the power or whatever, we will... Um, we will move into um, 
a degraded mode and probably do some sort of outdoor camp out type type uh, uh, in-person in ministry but um, but look for uh, if, if we lose power look for chapels on Facebook when you can and um, I'll try to keep uh, keep the word coming out uh, however we can our father we thank you for the ministry of the gospel the privilege we have to think about our spiritual lives how they connect to the those who um, Paul wrote to that we're the audience in a secondary sense, but we have a lot in common with Timothy and Titus. And I pray that we'll go all the way from your word to the works that the word produces in us. Don't let us fall short of your grace and waste the wonderful gifts of the spirit you've given us, the, the presence of the spirit in us, the spiritual gift to, uh, to, to love, especially those that you love with the truth. Father, make us effective ministers of the gospel. And if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ, we pray for them, help them come to have eternal life. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.